Hello, and welcome back to Keep Digging for Life, your seminary on the go. I'm your host, Jason Epps. <laughs> Today, we will be resuming our... Theological Analysis of... The Chosen with Episode 5, The Wedding Gift. Now, as always, I will... Start off with a brief synopsis, uh, then I will cover what elements they took artistic license with, what elements are matching up with the biblical data, and then finally, what content, what might match up with the grand theme that they are going for in regards to the characters. So, as always, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched episode 5 of The Chosen and don't want any spoilers, pause the podcast now, and I will see you after you watch it. If not, I will be back in a few minutes. Alright, even though this episode mainly takes uh, place in two places. One, the Cana, the wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the cell that John is in meeting with Nicodemus. The episode starts out with... Uh, Jesus as a young boy. Interesting to note, the timestamp on the show says that it is 8 A.D., but Mary says that Jesus is 12 years old. This means, if I'm doing my math right, that they're going from Jesus being born in 4 B.C., now, side note, it may seem a bit awkward of how could Jesus be before be born before in BC? That's before Christ, before Jesus. Yes, um, a lot of scholars believe that Jesus was born in four BC. And to be honest, the person that originally came up with the dating system wasn't absolute in giving uh, the dates as far. And to be perfectly honest, he was born around 4 BC. We don't know exactly when. And in my mind, for somebody in the, you know, 1500s, 1600s, whenever the dating system came about, to only be off by four years with the limited uh, calculation tools having to do it all by hand, that's pretty good. So uh, kudos to uh, kudos to them. Uh, anyway, uh, we see um, 
mainly Mary getting distressed because she can't find Jesus. And then uh, Jesus says, um, when didn't you know I had to, I thought I told you to stay. Mary said, I thought I told you to stay with your father. And Jesus said, I was with my father. Didn't you know I had to be my father's house? And, and Joseph, we, fi we finally get to see Joseph does a little like side putting like look over there and it, they show the temple. So it's obvious he was in the temple. And an interesting element that he says is we, they almost didn't let Jesus leave. Uh, then it cuts back to um, after Mary says, you know, bear this with me. And Jesus says, you know, um, referring to his work, if not now, when? After that, we cut back to the present with Nicodemus and John. John really comes off very snippy here, ridiculing uh, uh, Nicodemus for being a overwealthy and opulent uh, Pharisee, something that in the show Nicodemus himself has been struggling with. However, when John mentions it, he gets a little defensive, as is understandable. There were a couple times in the dialogue that I thought John would really be more open to evangelizing about Jesus to Nicodemus. Uh, so I just thought the dialogue was more antagonistic. Anyway, then we cut to, but we, then we cut to Jesus on his way to Cana and the interchange between Peter and Andrew, them worried about how they're going to do it, um, you know, what if they mess up, you know, Peter affirming, well, we're probably both going to mess up and it'll probably just be like our you know, when our father taught us to fish, we just observed a lot of it. And then they meet up with the disciples and Jesus, Mary Magdalene is shown to be traveling with them. I'll get back to that later. Um, Jesus almost says a quandary like, what do we do with the two James? We'll call you Big James and and you, short James, is that okay? And say, yes. Um, and Jesus says, yes. Um, we see Mary going out to help um, her best friend with the wedding. And what is presented there is that they are very poor and struggling and trying to impress a rich merchant. Uh, Thomas is seen to be the wine, the banquet manager and wants to 
have an extra jar of wine, but the wine seller that is going with it with him doesn't want to overdo it. There's an interesting interchange between the disciples where it's shown that uh, they talk about Jesus' miracles and say that the miracles have been private and not public and the time is not ready for them and Simon in typical hothead fashion, um, says, uh, well, what time would be the right time for him? And Mary Magdalene says, well, you can't control where the wind blows, kind of alluding to what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John. I find that very interesting. Also, on the way over, Peter says to Jesus, you know, kind of in an entrepreneurial way, won't there be, you know, rich and wealthy Jews there? You need to make a, a good impression. We also learned how that they talk about how a Jesus had been choosing them and and uh, one of them says he was actually building uh, a ramp for people who are crippled to use the latrine, which insights into uh, Jesus' character. Simultaneously, there is a discussion between Thomas and the other wine steward that the count has been over-exaggerated and their stress of the wine running out. Mary approaches Jesus and says they run out of wine. This is embarrassing. This is heightened by the fact that the family is really pushing it to impress a uh, father of the of the bride who's very wealthy and antagonistic and Posh. So, and then as Jesus is um, doing the miracle of the wine, there's a discussion of when you cut into a stone, um, you can't go back, insinuating that once Jesus do, does his miracle, he can't go back. And Jesus says to Thomas, it's good to ask questions. You cal you calculate like somebody else I know, kind of insinuating with uh, Matthew. So he turns it to wine. They say this is the best wine he ever tasted. And Thomas is encouraged to meet with Jesus at Capernaum. So that is just the general overview. Now I will touch on uh, what happened. Also, there's an interchange between uh, Peter and his wife before all this. And in a 
almost poetic way, she's um, making wine, smushing on the grapes to press it into juice for fermenting into wine. So, without further ado, I will get into the theological analysis. And we're back. So now I'm going to get into the things, excuse me, that are a bit of a artistic stretch. Now, first things first is the interchange between um, Nicodemus and John. We don't know if Nicodemus has ever met with John, ever saw him. And therefore, that whole interchange is uh, drummed up personally, like I said in the um, synopsis. I think it's a bit antagonistic. John, I believe, if he, while well, he was very skeptical and <sighs> calling out of the Pharisees, you know, very blunt, that's the word I'm looking for. Regards to the Pharisees, I don't think he would. If somebody came to him that was genuinely questioning, he wouldn't. He would stop to listen. I mean, that was his whole goal: is to prepare the way for the Messiah. In fact, he even mentioned that you know Romans would prepare the way, uh, referring to his main call. In fact, he'd even mentioned that in the biblical record too. The Pharisees, when they asked, so it just seems unrealistic that he had hidden his cards, but it makes for good drama, so yeah, and it shows that Nicodemus's character is developing, he's seeking answers, <laughs> he's wanting to know the person, so it's a <laughs> nice progression there. The other thing that's added again is the interchange between um, Peter and his wife. Um, I do want to mention this. I've said before that I didn't like how snippy she was in The Chosen. Here she seems to be fine. Like acting appropriately in that time period. So, yay! Didn't make her so snippy and antagonistic. And it, I'm sorry. It was, for me, it was just getting old. You know, she wasn't... It often made me feel bad for Peter, almost, and wonder why in the world did she marry him, almost, if she seemed to dislike him this much. So it it was nice to see, and it was nice that she supported him in being uh, called with uh, the Messiah. It, it was nice that they made the allusion to um, 
Elijah and Elijah. There, that was uh, really good. The um, discussion between Big James and Little James again, the, the whole walking in the pathway and talking, and, and they're making a big deal about Mary being with the disciples, and it's kind of a bit of a stretch. She was in close association with Jesus, you know, help support him and whatnot, but she wasn't with traveling with the disciples. At least it doesn't seem to be that much. There's one line that talks about Mary being with them, and it's just, they seem to be blowing it out. And it makes for good character development, again, I guess. Um, the other thing is, we don't know, in fact, it's highly unlikely that Thomas was the wine steward. We know nothing about Thomas's job, man, before Jesus and where they met. So that itself is a bit of an exaggeration. In addition, the whole... Uh, state of the wedding party being poor, trying to impress a rich person is a bit of a, a stretch too. We don't know if there was that strain again. We, we've seen this time and time again with the fishes and the taxes and things of that nature. Um, so. And honestly, I think the whole... Um, Jesus setting in motion things with the with the turning water into wine and allusion to stone masonry is a bit of a stretch. Also, while we can surmise that Peter was a go-getter or entrepreneur, it doesn't directly say that. They're making him to be a little bit more flashy than maybe the biblical text would warrant. But there is room for that because of all the disciples, he suffered from what people like to call foot and mouth disease. <laughs> he was the one that in one breath said that Jesus was Messiah and the other breath rebuked him for, you know, going to the cross. So Peter not one to think before he speaks. Good news for all of us who don't all the time do that. God could even use us. That's, I find that good news. He uses broken people. All right. And I will get back to what is positive and, and good about this episode. Well, uh, uh, biblically... Uh, Coherent. All right, and we're back. So what did I see positive biblically in this episode? Well, it was helpful that 
they expressed that um, the Jews wedding feast were several days long. That was common practice. And that being out of wine was a... Um, an embarrassment and shameful and it brought shame on not just the bride's family but everyone involved and they they really did a good job demonstrating it also the blessing over the wine that is the authentic blessing over the wine it was said the vine <laughs> Um, the other element that I really liked was the, even though it's not accurate to the, uh, timetable with the, um, disciples is the whole interchange of how students would normally select rabbis kind of thing. A rabbi wouldn't just go up to a student and say, come follow me. Students would seek rabbis out and rabbis would only would accept a student or reject. And typically they would only accept the best and brightest students. That is where it's kind of ironic where one of the disciples basically said, yeah, he's not going around choosing the best and brightest, implying the true practice, which was only selecting the best and brightest. The other nice thing that they did was they kind of hinted at Peter's denial. When Jesus said, Peter said, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, I hope so. Almost with a twinge of, I know what you're going to do. I can't with uh, how he called Thomas by name and how he had said, there's another person counting. Again, they're demonstrating Jesus's omniscience, but they, um, mirrored that to him praying the, to the Father to get the uh, miracle done. Now, this gets into a very interesting uh, topic known as the kenosis as to what state was Jesus actually in when he became a man? How how did his humanity affect his divine attributes? And if you want more information on that, I did a podcast on that a while back. And I'll be happy to do it again if there needs to be further clarification. But suffice it to say that in some sense, Jesus had to seek the Father's permission to do a miracle. That is why the temptation of Satan to Jesus was so severe. Satan was trying to get him to Jesus to bypass seeking the Father's authority to reclaim and grasp his equality with God, which was certainly within his right. 
But then Jesus would have given in to the sin of pride. Same as Satan, when Satan wanted to exalt himself above God. Isaiah 14 and... Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 tell them the story of Satan fall if you want to check that out anyway One point that I thought was very poignant in the discussion between John and Nicodemus was the point of some people avoid the light, some people go to the light. Which one will you be? Which is a good question to Nicodemus and by extension the viewers. And with that, let me transition to analyzing the characters and, and the progression they're trying to make and make some predictions to that and on how the authorial intent of the show Chosen is working. And we're back. So what do we see here? We see the setting up of Nicodemus again, struggling and coming into the state of whether or not he will be a believer. The question of whether Peter will stay with Jesus, which is foreshadowing Jesus, uh, Peter's denial of Jesus. Uh, setting up Matthew and Thomas's Conversion. What I really like that they're they're doing here is they're creating a lot of opportunities of skeptical characters, people that are finding it hard to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and then he's slowly winning them over. It's very relatable to the audience, but not a well. We're not sure. It's. It's coming from silence in a sense. They're making it more dramatic, but I think the reason they're doing it is for a good reason to create a, a character in which a non-believer can relate to and therefore they can grow with the character. So, I, and multiple options in multiple different ways. You know, you've got Peter that was down his luck. You've got, um, you've got Thomas that is calculating, same as Matthew. But everybody seems to be faced with the question of, you're facing an undeniable fact with these miracles. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to say? Are you going to ignore it or are you going to make it up? Coming back to John's question to Nicodemus, 
And that is the question that's posed to us all. So we can use that as a jumping board discussing uh, with people in these themes and the aspects of negative Jesus that a non-response is impossible. Once it is known, you have to either go one way or the other and newsflash. If we don't accept Jesus, we're already under condemnation. We're already condemned by our own sin. It's only through accepting Jesus Christ and what he has done that we are fully granted a pardon and being able to live with him fully and completely. So, as always, feel free to message me at keepdiggingforlife at gmail.com. That's keepdiggingforlife at gmail.com. Over the next uh, couple times, I'm going to try and implement uh, surveys and feedback into the podcast. Edgar just recently added that feature, so I'm going to see how I can use it because I really want your feedback. You know, to know if this interests you, if you want me to cover something else. I I don't want this podcast to be for me. I want it to be helpful and beneficial. All right. Till then, keep digging.